listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 37 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where if you're wondering if Grayson Allen deliberately tripped a Florida State player last night, the answer is of course he did, he goes to Duke! I'm joined by two people who probably agree with that sentiment. Dave Tucker, what level of Duke hatred have we reached with Grayson Allen yet? Are we at J.J. Redick levels, or are we still at John Shire? No, I think I think we're approaching J.J. Redick levels. Brendan Dar on Twitter was made that analogy. I thought it was a pretty good one that Grayson is trying to propel himself up there. But J.J. had his own level of... Of pure hatred. He, he's my most hated dookie of all time. I don't know if we're going to ever get a Twitter account called I Hate Grace Allen. I don't think that would catch on in the same way I Hate J.J. Reddick did. A lot of people do not like J.J. Reddick. I could tell. I could tell. I didn't think I liked J.J. Reddick. When J.J. Reddick was at Duke, I was like 12 years old. And I don't think I like J.J. Reddick. So that's <laughs> an idea of how deep the hatred goes. Ryan... John Shire level or J.J. Reddick level, or is it is it higher? I don't think it's possible for it to be higher now because Maryland's not in the ACC anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, same as you, wasn't really around when J.J. Reddick No, was you were around. Just, well, I know. I was, I was around, and, like, at that point, you know, my dad had raised me as a Maryland fan, so I guess I hated him, but I don't really remember. I'd say it's more John Shire just because these two are, like, I don't know. He's going to need a couple more incidents like this before he really reaches the J.J. Redick level oh, you, of hit. Oh, you mean that game winner against Virginia where he traveled, double dribbled? But that wasn't that wasn't malicious. That was just no, but it that was, was lucky. Still cheating. Yeah, but it's not like deliberately cheating. It's just it's just kind of something that happens. Here's a soccer reference for those of you who like it. He's almost at Diego Costa levels of incredibly annoying. Anyway, you both don't like soccer, but there might be some people that are listening. I, to this I'm fine with I'm fine with soccer. I covered oh. Maryland soccer this fall. Well, I like soccer. Do you get the Diego Costa reference? I do, but I, I just do not follow soccer. Okay. I don't have the time to invest in no, following I. soccer or Premier League or even MLS, really. I, just... I have to assume that everybody doesn't like soccer to begin with. That's just a natural assumption. I have. Anyway, <laughs> I got to say thank you for all of you for listening to the two podcasts we posted this week. The spring sports preview that was a bit belated that nobody actually listened to, but I thought this was going to be an addendum to this podcast. Turned out when it was too long for that. It was a fun little thing. We got Todd back on the show. But most of you probably listened to our podcast with Graham Couch on Monday, except my two co-hosts tonight, strangely enough. Are you going to call us out for that, really? Yes, I am. That's great. Yes, I am. Considering it's the second most listened to podcast of all time. You know, I had a busy week. I had a midterm. Yeah, I have a midterm in February. Yeah. What's wrong with this university? Anyway, uh, it was a fun podcast. Way more fun than any ones that I've really ever recorded. That's no offense to you two. That was just amazing arguing with somebody who was basically... It was basically arguing with a brick wall. Some of my favorite things from that show, if you didn't listen to it, it's still up. Please listen to it if you haven't already. We're going to get to talking about the uh, polls in a bit later on in this program. He ranked Providence ahead of Maryland. Now, we're recording this Thursday night, and they got shellacked by St. John's. Uh, not St. John's. That would have been even worse. They got shellacked by Seton Hall. So that's pretty bad. They were ranked ahead of Maryland. Purdue was ranked 15th, 10 spots higher than Maryland. Whoops. He, he said on the show that he thought the 25 teams ranked ahead of Maryland could beat Maryland on a neutral floor. was a bit confused. I think we all were a bit confused with that. 
Yeah, Dave, Dave, go for it. You, you, can, you can go over this one. <laughs> Ryan's being nice about it. I don't know. I, I don't understand his argument for some things. And he made excuses for Michigan State losing because they didn't have um, – Oh my God! Why am I blanking on his name? Denzel right Valentine. Denzel Valentine, and then Maryland didn't have Diamond Stone against Minnesota. And not that not having Stone is justification for Maryland losing to Minnesota because Maryland should not have lost to Minnesota. But he he's not didn't seem to be treating teams equally, and I, that's one of the things Scott Van Pelt got into with him, and it was a fun discussion, the back and forth, seeing Van Pelt go back and forth, and you know he's said that he doesn't hate anybody it's it's just fun kind of um discussion and you know that's what makes sports fun to be able to talk about these things i don't hate graham couch he was a very nice man i he had the balls to come on the show and defend himself not many people actually do that so i was impressed in that sense but there was a lot of things he said that made no sense he said iowa didn't have a game breaker like mellow trimble i'm thinking jared utah did you only watch the game when Maryland completely shut him down? I mean, I know Iowa's lost a couple in a row and hasn't been as good lately, but I was definitely confused there. But anyway, go back and listen to that podcast if you want to smash your head against the wall. If smashing your head against the wall watching a Republican presidential debate doesn't do it for you, listen to our Graham Couch podcast. We didn't actually get a chance to talk about the two Maryland games from the past week on that show, and it seems a perfect time to do that. Dave... Minnesota and Michigan felt like we were going to the ledge. It was crumbling beneath our feet. Then we went back. Then we went to the ledge again, and then we went back. I was getting a bit of whiplash from that. The Minnesota game was a week ago. Thank the Lord. I've already put it behind me. That was not a very good night last night. That was as bad as it got. And I was asking somebody the next day, has there been a more questionable, bad Maryland loss than that in recent memory? You've been around much longer than Ryan and I have, so has there been? Well, I think... I wrote about comparing it to a loss Maryland had against Florida State in 2001. That was the year uh, Maryland went to their first Final Four, but a couple games before that Florida State game was the infamous gone in 60 seconds game where Duke came back being down 10 at Cole Fieldhouse and ended up beating Maryland in overtime. And that sent Maryland into a bit of a tailspin that kind of bottomed out when they lost to a really, really, really bad Florida State team at home. And I, I've never seen Cole Fieldhouse turn on a team like that. I mean, they were booing like crazy. And that really turned Maryland's season around. And they went on and made a run in the Final Four and could have potentially beat Duke in the Final Four, but blew it. Blew that one, too. Lead. So uh, two, two, two points on that statement. You just compared that to the bad Nicolas Cage movie, Gone in 60 Seconds, and I like Cars, so that was a bit jarring. So I guess you, that game was really like Gone in 60 Seconds. It started out good and then ended really, really badly. Ended kind of like a car wreck. And the second thing that I noticed from that is, of course, Maryland's going to make the Final Four now. You know now that you've made that comparison, Dave. Well, I hope so. That would and, be- then, and then lose to Duke again. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Although I still – I said it on the preview for this season. Maryland's going to have to beat Duke at some point to win the national championship. It seems like it's faded. Anyway, Ryan, is there anything that we have not said about that Minnesota game that you want to say? Oof. Uh, no, I think you guys pretty much got it. It was terrible. It was – watching it was unbelievable. Like, I was watching it with Matt Ellentuck, obviously our other basketball writer, and we were both, like, you know, clowning around. I actually had the tweet um, 
I tweeted like, oh, Maryland's going to win by 20 in the first half. And I was feeling totally great about it. I was like, yeah, oh, it's nothing. Like, they're playing Varun, Jalen, and at the same time in the first they, half. They disrespected be fine. Minnesota with that because Maryland and, did that against Bowie State. And I was like, that's a D2 team at home. Maryland it, doesn't do that against anybody unless it's a preseason game. Exactly. And still, I mean, you know, midway through the second half, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is bad, but Maryland's still going to pull it out. And then, I mean, that was just – that was horrible. Damn. I got, I got, I mean, nothing new strategically. Like, obviously, Maryland, you know, took them lightly. I don't think you could blame them. Everyone took them lightly. It was Minnesota. Minnesota had lost 13 conference games in a row. If you ra- watched Richard Pitino's uh, postgame press conference, I mean, the man sounded like he was so relieved. He said his exact quote was, I can now go inside Starbucks instead of using the drive through because he was so – he just, like, couldn't show his face around campus. The most important thing, I think, from that comment is he said Starbucks instead of, like, a fast food joint. That's that's good, I guess, in his part. Not that you'd want to walk into a McDonald's anyway, ever, but I've done it too many times to count, and I've been embarrassed by that, too. Regardless, well, it was – it is college. We've got no money. Regardless of that, I've seen much more embarrassing sports loss considering the teams I root for. If you know me, you know exactly what those are. Uh, I've seen some embarrassing losses in my day. So that one against Minnesota didn't really feel that bad. And I was only half paying attention to it because I was watching hockey and I was angry at Maryland for dicking around a bit, for lack of a better term. Then the Michigan game happened. Funny enough that it was the Gold Rush game when they were wearing maize against a team nicknamed the Maize in Blue. Good decision-making Maryland events, people. But that game was one of the most Jekyll and Hyde games I've ever seen. And it's a trend for Maryland to play games like that. But they looked incredible, then incredibly awful, and then okay, all within a 20-minute span. Dave, we, we, we talked about that after the game. That was one of the most wild and wacky and back-and-forth zigzag games I've ever seen, where everything that has happened in this Maryland season was compressed into one game. It was. It was pretty crazy. I mean, they looked really good at off, on offense at times, and then they looked really bad on defense, then they looked... Good on defense, but then they couldn't do anything on offense. It's just, I think that's been the thing that's frustrated Maryland fans this year is that we all know what the potential is for this team, and they haven't been able to consistently put that full package together um, in a game a lot of times, and being able to do that consistently has been something that's kind of plagued them this year. Aside from one game against Ohio State, that really was it. Yeah, that I was saying that was their best game, I think, so far this year was that Ohio State game. I mean, they just looked absolutely unstoppable, and you thought maybe that was the game where all the pieces were finally coming together, but then it's like they regress again. So, you know, this time of year, you have teams that sometimes can struggle and they make a big push uh in march in their conference or ncaa tournament and uh, maryland has the capability of doing that they they are capable of winning their last three games it's not some crazy outsider you know homer opinion that they can win all three of those games but at the same time because maryland's been so inconsistent this season it's something that isn't really highly probable Let's go into some of those inconsistencies while a car horn blares in the background, I think. I yeah, that's, what that was. that's on my end. I don't know what's going on. Ryan, of course it's you. Anyway. I'm okay. Don't worry. I, I know you're fine. You're going to get arrested for that uh, 
take earlier in the podcast. Anyway, I don't care. Uh, let's. It's this game. Maryland got bench scoring. That was the only thing that was different about this game as opposed to others from when we saw Maryland look great on offense, terrible on defense, and back and forth, back and forth. They got scoring from the bench. It was incredibly nice to see Jalen Brantley and Jared Dickens and DeMonte Dodd play very, very well off the bench. Maryland has needed that bench scoring all season, and they never got it until last Sunday. And because of that, that's probably why they won, other than going to the free throw line a ton. Uh, talk about the bench scoring a bit, Ryan. I mean, it seems like every time I'm on this podcast, we're talking about Jalen Brantley. Well, because we have which, to. Which, which shows you how, long, how often I'm on this podcast. But, uh, well, well it's in, I try to rotate no, it in everybody out. It's, maybe no, I have to have you a little more not, often not, now. <laughs> Relax. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's just – it's got to be coincidence that every time Jalen Brantley plays well, I end up being on the podcast. But uh, Well, then you need to be on the podcast more often. You know, I guess so. I think the most surprising thing was just he got early minutes. He got first half minutes, which was very surprising if I remember correctly. And Nickens – started shooting the ball into the basket, which is always good. And Dodd started to be the DeMonte Dodd we saw last season, which is, I mean, that's those are three things Maryland's really going to need. Also, would love to have Mello Trimble making shots in the field. But if we have Dodd, Nickens, and Brantley all playing well in the same game, that's that's going to be really, really good. And Maryland has enough depth in scoring to mask for the woes when Mellow Trimble isn't playing well. And I thought this was one of his better games. It's still not vintage Mellow Trimble, but this was better than Minnesota and Wisconsin and others. Right, Dave? I mean, Maryland has the ability to cover up for some of their faults. And one of the players that we'll get to in a second is Robert Carter. And when he plays well, Maryland usually wins. Uh, the depth, What did you think about the depth options for Maryland on Sunday? It was the reason why they won, basically. Yeah, I mean, if Maryland's getting that kind of production out of their bench, I, they're going to be a really hard team to stop. Um, when Mello has been in this funk that he's been in, you know, Maryland really hasn't had uh, a lot of help, especially at the guard position. But, you know, Jalen Brantley has really, I feel like, started to come into his own again. He had a game earlier in the season where we thought, you know, it was a breakout game for him. But Brandon? Yeah, so now it seems like he is, again, getting to that point, and Mark Turgeon is comfortable with him and relying on him. And I think if they can get that kind of production, especially out of him, you know, that makes Maryland a really hard team to stop. And, again, yeah, I don't know what's what's wrong with, with Mello, if it's an in, like a, a nagging injury or if he's just in a funk or something. But when he breaks out of that and starts – you know, performing offensively at the level that, you know, we know he can, the, Maryland's going to be a much better team and they're going to be a really hard team to stop. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't always realize, you know, they're like Maryland's struggling, Maryland's struggling. Well, you know, arguably their best player on the court is struggling. And if he's struggling, that really, limits Maryland in some respects because they have a guy out there who isn't going to be taking as many shots. And when he is there and he is able to score, Maryland is a really hard team to stop because you can't, you, you're picking your poison, you know, are you going to stop Trimble? Well, then you're let, leaving things open for Diamond Stone and Robert Carter under the basket. And when you're going to them and they get doubled and you're kicking back out and if Trimble's hitting an open three, then 
you know, good luck stopping Maryland offensively. Yep. And there's a lot of that to say for Maryland as they go forward. Uh, one of my favorite trends in this season, Ryan, is when Rashid Suleiman plays incredibly well, he's done that quite a bit, then in some other games, he almost goes completely invisible from the field in terms of scoring. He has a career high against Minnesota. He's the only player that shows up. And then he scores only six points, and all of them come in the second half against Michigan. And Maryland had that offensive stretch where they were hitting shots. They were totally dominating Michigan. And Rashid Suleiman didn't score. It's amazing how Maryland can play like that and have one player almost be completely silent. Usually it's been Melo Trimble of late. And still end up blowing teams out of the gym for stretches. That just shows you how much depth is in the starting lineup, and I don't think people appreciate that as much. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the first thing I'll say is no matter what this Maryland team is this season, appreciate it because you're never going to see a Maryland team quite like this anytime soon. But Suleiman, this is exactly what, you know, Mark Turgeon could have hoped for with Rashid Suleiman. Against Minnesota, when no one else could make a shot, he was the one who was giving them, you know, any ounce of hope down the stretch. And then against Michigan, he didn't need to be the guy scoring a lot. He was efficient, three for five, eight points. He is still knocking down everything from three. He didn't have a three in that game, actually. But, uh, I mean, it's been practically a best-case scenario, I think, for Rashid Suleiman this season. And it's been amazing because in the games when he's needed to step up, he's stepped up. It's not like he's been the supplemental piece when Maryland has already blown teams out. Usually that happens, but when he's been Maryland's leading scorer, he's taken the game by the scruff of the neck and been the guy. He's been the guy in games when Maryland has not played well. I'm even thinking Purdue when they were struggling a bit. Wisconsin, he was great, and obviously against Minnesota. The one player we really haven't talked about all that much is Robert Carter, and Robert Carter Jr. was really bad against Minnesota. If there's any reason why Maryland lost, aside from not having Diamond Stone and Mellow Trimble being in a focus, those are two big issues, I grant you. Robert Carter Jr. was in foul trouble and was not great defensively. On Sunday, he was fantastic. And Robert Carter Jr., I don't know if he's underappreciated for what he does on the offensive end, but every time he gets into double figures, he doesn't necessarily do so quietly, but when he does, they're always impactful points. They're coming on fast breaks. They're coming in situations cleaning up on the offensive end, Dave. Robert Carter Jr. might be the most important player for Maryland in that sense. You know, when he has big games, Maryland usually wins. When Rizzo Trimble can have a big game and Maryland could still lose if other players are not having good nights. If Robert Carter has a big game, it usually means Maryland's offense is working the way it should. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. I mean, when he has a big game like that, then they're usually running – uh, good offensive sets are getting the ball going inside out and he's getting, you know, a number of touches and being able to score inside. And I think, you know, when he's doing that, like you said, Matt, it's, it's Maryland's offense is probably humming along and, you know, that's obviously good news for them. Um, he's, he's really, I, I've been amazed by him ever since this season started. He's just been, I think, you know, so valuable to Maryland, so important to them, so important to their um, offense. And it, it's amazing. We talk about a lot of these players who could end up in this year's NBA draft, but on all the the top kind of NBA draft mock drafts I've seen, the projections from Draft Express, they, they don't have Carter going anywhere in the first two rounds. I think if he was a little bit taller, you know, he, he would probably be up there 
but um, he's currently not there, so I'd be curious to see if he ends up back in Maryland for a senior season. I was about to say that if he's not getting mocked in any of these drafts, he could get advice to come back to Maryland next year, and oh boy, that would be a huge bonus. Nobody expected when Robert Carter came in that he was going to stick around for an extra year. That would be awesome. One more thing on the Michigan game, Ryan. Why did Maryland's defense go completely invisible at times? There was one stretch when Michigan didn't hit a shot from the field for like seven and a half minutes, and they still scored 82, and there were times when Maryland's defense looked completely lost. I'm very curious as to what you think was the reason for that. Michigan, we know they shoot well from the outside. That's their bread and butter. If they don't shoot well, they get killed. But they were dominating inside, too. Mark Donald had 25 points, and almost all of his baskets were completely uncontested under the rim. They were shooting threes, too. What happened to Maryland's defense? Uh, well, you know, I don't have one one total thing that happened. I mean, I'll tell you, Matt Ellentuck did a great uh, breakdown of the Minnesota game on how Maryland was leaving a lot of three-point shooters just wide open, and that happened a ton in the Michigan game as well. Um, inside, it's it's surprising, considering that was a, we you know, we got a good game from DeMonte Dodd, and yet Mark Donald still scored 25. Um that's although you know nine of those points were from three i don't really have any one big thing for you i mean mark turgeon is generally a defensive coach and he's obviously not going to be happy with that one i don't i don't you know i don't have the one uh the one really bullet point for you but i doubt i doubt maryland's going to have many games like this Clark Kellogg's, have, uh, oh go on dave they must have run that pick and roll play to See, the this ass. is what oh, I was talking about. Like thousand, I swear to you, it was a thousand times. It was that is that is the one thing actually. Yes, pick and roll defense. Donald got open on that so many times. It was yes. it's like obviously I'm not a basketball player, but like that seems like something you should be able to adapt to. I mean they they saw they found that and they were just running that consistently without um any kind of resistance whatsoever. I've I was tweeting about it. It was just one of those things where you wanted to punch a hole in the wall because it was just you like knew it was coming and then you saw it happen again and again and again. It felt like you were watching a replay, but there was one thing that Clark Kellogg said on the CBS broadcast. I don't, I don't know if Ryan, you were at the game. I don't know if Dave, you heard this, but it was something about uh, the bigs being a little bit slow to get back on defense for Maryland is why Donald was getting open underneath, aside from the whole not defending the pick-and-roll thing. It was something Clark Kellogg pointed out, and I don't know if that's what it was. You never know. It's a suggestion. I want to talk about the polls briefly before we get to Maryland's really big game against Purdue that now got even bigger considering what has happened in the Big Ten this week. Maryland was 10th in the co- uh, AP poll, 9th in the coaches. We've already seen top five teams lose. Virginia's law, uh, yep, Virginia lost this week at Miami. Uh, Iowa lost. Villanova lost. Maryland at 10, you know, we haven't talked about the polls all that much. There's a reason for it. We've said on this program, they don't really mean much considering the NCAA tournament and how they seed their teams. And we just had our whole outrage factor over uh, AP top 25 voter not putting Maryland in the top 25. How much do the polls really mean in college basketball, Ryan? I mean, I think the one thing that shows you that the polls don't mean a whole lot is the brackets i mean what people are projecting teams to be on are you know often totally different than what you see in the polls and i think my best explanation for the polls is they're good for a casual viewer who hasn't really been following the sport who can see all right you know say north carolina they're number seven all right that's you know maybe that's not a perfect 
uh, spot for them, but that at least tells the voter, oh, these guys are pretty good. And other than that, I don't think you should pay much attention to the polls. I mean, at this point, Ken Palm's going to be a pretty good barometer of where every team is, even if, you know, Ken Palm maybe takes, you know, you can't, in the beginning of the season, Ken Palm isn't necessarily accurate just because there's not a lot of stats to go on yet. But, you know, by the end of the season, I'd say that's a better thing to rely on. Than oh, boy, you just you just mentioned Ken Palm again. You know what's going to happen on the is website. Is that bad? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, uh, Dave, tell tell Ryan what uh, most of our readers think of Ken Palm. Do enlighten me. Well, I did. I know. I know. Well, what I said, Ken Palm ranked Maryland 24th at the beginning of the season, but Ken Palm doesn't take in, into account transfers, if I'm correct. And, that is right. And, I mean, I don't think the full impact of Diamond Stone is factored into Ken Palm either. No, it wasn't even that. Last year, Maryland was not loved by Ken Palm because of their luck stat. Because they won too many close games and that had to be lucky. And I understand because I follow advanced stats in other sports and something like that is always considered lucky. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on the polls uh, briefly before we move on to the Purdue game? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it gives you something to talk about. Um, Certainly that, gave us quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, you've got writers that are voting in these. You've got coaches that are voting on these. Um, but I don't know. It's... Does it really matter at the end of the day? No. Um, I, I actually wonder, though, if, if Maryland being ranked so high has put a lot of pressure on this team this season. So, I mean, that's another impact they can have on a, a team is, you know, if you're if you're that number one, if you're if you're in the top 10, even when you're playing an opponent, even an opponent like Minnesota, you're going to be getting their their best game probably of the season because they want to beat a team that's ranked in the top 10. So that that's another kind of factor that goes into all this is that it can put a lot of pressure on the team. Well, a lot of teams deal with it well, and Maryland's been a top 10 team all year, so they're definitely used to it. But now we get to talk about a very, very big game in the Big Ten. Purdue tomorrow at Mackey Arena. Purdue, Maryland already beat them once this season at Xfinity Center. It was a game in which they struggled at times but pulled away in the end. It was a team we thought they could beat at Xfinity Center on that long home winning streak because even though the matchup inside was going to be fantastic, Maryland had the advantage on the perimeter with Trimble and Suleiman against Purdue's guards. Now it's at Mackey. Purdue has beaten Michigan State there. They are a very tough team to beat at home. It's hard to win on the road in the Big Ten, as we found out, unless you're Wisconsin, apparently. The real question for me going into this game as Maryland heads into its last two conference road games at Purdue and Indiana, everybody has been saying that Maryland's going to win one or the other. They're probably not going to win both. This was after Minnesota and presumably after the Michigan game, too. And it really comes down to whether you think they're more suited to win a slugfest or a shootout. The way they're playing right now, I'm tending to think they're more suited to win a slugfest. Now, I'm curious to see what both of you think. Since Maryland's already beaten Purdue, and Maryland last year got dump-trucked by Indiana and Bloomington, and Indiana hasn't lost a home game all season. So, Dave, is Maryland more likely to beat Purdue on the road or Indiana on the road? Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess I'll say Purdue. Um, and uh, the Indiana game is going to be a hard game to win because it's going to be senior night there, and I think Indiana is a team that – Maryland might not be able to match up as well as they do with Purdue. I mean, Maryland has the bigs to match up with Purdue. 
if it's a close game, then, you know, there's several people you can put the ball in the hands of for Maryland and hopefully, you know, they can pull out a win for you on a, a last shot or something like that. And I think that's, you know, a grind out game like that is what you're going to have with Purdue, hopefully. And if you do, Maryland is fully capable of winning that type of game. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I'd go with Purdue also. Just, I mean, like Dave said, they match up so well with Purdue. With Maryland has strong bigs, even though, I mean, Isaac Haas, he made Diamond Stone look like a child. Like, I was at that game because I actually had tickets, could not get tickets to the Michigan game because this season is ridiculous for students. But, it's just um, been weird. I've not even gone to games I haven't covered. Does that make yeah, me a bad person? Probably not. Um, other probably other, other things, anyway. maybe, but not that. Uh, One of those so, other things. Actually, we'll talk about that after the podcast. Um, yeah, I think that, like, Purdue's guards don't scare me at all, while Indiana's obviously do. We saw we saw what Yogi Ferrell did to Melo Trimble last season. And I think, I mean, I agree. I think just by chance, they only win one of those two games. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Purdue's the safer bet, for sure. All things considered, though, Maryland now, after losing to Minnesota, I thought, uh-oh, their destiny's out of their hands now. They were going to be, at that point, they were probably going to get a top-four seed in the Big Ten tournament, but it was looking a bit iffier. Now, with Iowa losing, Indiana's last game is against us, Maryland. So Maryland's destiny is back in their hands again. If they win all three games, they will win the Big Ten regular season and be the number one seed in the conference tournament. And the way it goes, if they beat Purdue and they should just throttle Illinois at home, there's no reason why they should lose that game, then that last game at Indiana is going to be for the conference regular season title. And you know what? I think for most people, if that's what they were playing for in the last game of the season, regular season that is, you definitely take it. Uh, going closer into this Purdue game, what did Maryland do wrong against Purdue the first time that you'd probably want to see them fix the second go-round, Ryan? Uh, sorry, well, they would do the second go-round against Indiana? Purdue. Purdue? Good. Uh, what would they like to fix? I don't know. Same deal as always. You'd like them to not turn the ball over as much. like them to box out Purdue's impossible big men. But uh, other than that, you you just got to look for Melo Trimble. If Melo Trimble has a good game, then uh, Maryland's going to be all right. Dave, what do you think? No, I agree. Um, they... I think got to try to get Michigan's bigs in. Michigan? Sort of... <laughs> We're all wow. going crazy. I don't know, man. Oh. This is what happens when you record a podcast. That We're recording like... this at quarter of 12 at night, but this um, is when y'all could record. Maryland's got to try to get Purdue's bigs in some sort of foul trouble, and Maryland's got to get to the line. I've been saying this all season. When Maryland's able to get to the line, then they're going to be – successful and if they can do that then I think they'll be fine but you know they've they've played with you know as a turnover prone team all season I, I I just don't think they're gonna get to the point where they're consistently cutting down on turnovers so they've got to find ways to be able to score even if they are turning the ball over so I think they found a way to do that they still only have what, five losses all season with all of their turnover issues, which is still yeah. incredibly impressive. You can't really complain about that, even though you know the turnovers are coming. Uh, Ryan, one thing from the Michigan game now that I'll bring up, Maryland got to the free throw line much better than they had been in past games. And when Maryland gets to the free throw line, we know they usually win. Uh, they have to do that against Purdue, obviously. What changed? We saw Melo Trimble driving a lot more. And I don't think I talked to you about this, you and Dave, 
there was a comment, I think it was Matt or Alex made on one of our previous shows, where he said that referees were getting a little bit smarter to Mellow Triple's game and not calling the same amount of fouls they were doing on Mellow's drives to the basket. He wasn't drawing as many calls, even though he was drawing the same amount of contact. I guess that's an advancement in Big Ten officiating, which is nice considering they don't advance in anything else. But uh, is that something you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed. I mean, Mello's real good at the, uh, like, the head bob. Like, he snaps his head back, like, every time he gets contact. And that's definitely the ref, something that the refs wisened up to. I also definitely thought he was driving to the basket more, which is just a huge, like, that's one of the biggest differences I've seen in his play this season is his, like, he's content to shoot a lot more jump shots, essentially. Um, one of my friends pointing out to me that, like, at a certain point in the season, I actually don't know if it's still true, he had more threes than twos, uh, which is not really what you like to see, considering we all know how acrobatic he is around the rim and how he goes up, double pumps, whatever, and draws contact, makes the layup more often than not. Um, I'm still, I still feel like it's very possible that, you know, now that we're at the end of the season, once, like, the tournament starts, he's, now he starts driving to the hoop a lot, that he's sort of been saving himself almost, making sure he hasn't got injured. Um, well, he still is injured. He's clearly something's off. He's not 100%. Yeah, yeah, but the whole thing is, the whole thing is who is 100% at this se- type of the season, Good point. part of the season, but you know, yeah, everyone's heard that a million times, so who really knows? Um, that still doesn't change the fact that he's still not making shots, which is definitely alarming. Okay, can Maryland win games in conference and NCAA tournaments? If Mello is doing his driving to the hoop, he's getting fouled, he's going to the free throw line, he's getting 15 points that way, but he still isn't making anything from, well, outside of three feet away. Can Maryland win tournament games like that, Ryan? I think they can, um, but it depends who else steps up. I mean, if they have a game like they did against Michigan where Carter Stone... Trimble and Lehman are all in double figures. Rashid Suleiman has eight, and they get solid production from three bench players. Then, yeah, they're going to be fine. But, you know, if you don't have other players scoring, you know, Jake Lehman had 16, Carter had 17, Trimble had 14, and Stone had 13. If you don't have similar totals like besides that, who aren't Melo Trimble, then uh, they're not going to win. Dave, what do you think? No, I, mean, I completely agree with what... Uh, Ryan said, I mean, it, you've got to have that that balanced scoring like that. One of the most amazing things about the game against Michigan, there were a lot of amazing things about that game. I like to repeat myself if you haven't already figured that out on this podcast. Jake Lehman probably had the quietest 16 points I've ever seen. Did It, it almost kind of snuck up on you that Jake Lehman had 16 points. Did, is that noticed by you guys? No, I thought, yeah, I thought the same thing. It's He, he was just consistently doing stuff but it kind of got overshadowed by some other stuff that's going on especially especially since you know he makes three or four three pointers but like that's nine points that really he kind of spaced it out throughout the game so you don't really notice it like he only made five shots from the field out of what six but that's not a whole lot and i feel like you can easily kind of overlook if especially you know you're looking at your computer you're looking at your phone during the game you could easily miss a Jake Lehman three, and then you don't think he's playing that well. And you also notice that he doesn't necessarily hit them at those big moments, you know, capping a run, forcing a team to call a timeout when Maryland needs a big three to switch momentum. That's not usually his thing. It feels like more of a mellow Trimble thing or a Diamond Stone Robert Carter dunk, something like that. But 
Um, maybe that's my final question for both of you. Does Maryland beat Purdue on Saturday? You both hinted that you think they can. Uh, will they? Who would like to go first? I'll go. I think they. I think they will. I think their offense is playing better, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that actually carries over into another game, and that they learned something from the Minnesota loss, and they're gonna go on a run here and win their last three games. So I'm. I'm That's gonna, a bold I'm, prediction. I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna say that they learned their lesson and they're gonna go on a run, which means they'll obviously prove me wrong. They <laughs> lose to Purdue, or the most Maryland thing ever would be that they beat Purdue, lose at home to Illinois, and then lose to Indiana. That no, would no, be no, the most happens. Maryland thing would be beat Purdue, lose to Illinois, then beat Indiana. Yeah. That would be more Maryland. Uh, they had to had six days off between games, which I think will just help them nurse their wounds a bit, just get a little bit healthier because they're going to start playing games really every other day. Once you get into the tournament, you're playing games in the Big Ten tournament every day and in the NCAA tournament every other day. So you have to maintain some sort of health. Ryan, do you think Maryland beats Purdue? Uh, you know, I'm going to go yes. Um, you know, surprise, Maryland, SB Nation site. Both of us picked Maryland. But I think, I mean, last game, Maryland seemed like the better team. You know, their their guards are so vastly better than Purdue's. I think I think they're going to take it, but it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling great about my prediction. No, I'm not either, but because it's on the road mainly. But Purdue, exactly. we saw what happened at Indiana where they were just, just getting clocked by a team that had so much threat at the guard position and then came back at the end when Indiana took their foot off the gas. So I'm still a little nervous, but I think Maryland can definitely win it. Purdue is not playing as well as they did at the start of the season. They're, what, 3-2, and 3-3 three and three in their last couple of games. They haven't been nearly the sort of team that they were at the start of the season when they were much higher ranked. I'm actually taking a look at their schedule now. Yeah, they're – Three, they're actually two and three in their last five games, losing at Maryland, beating Michigan State at overtime, losing at Michigan, beating Northwestern, and then losing at Indiana. So they haven't been that amazing. It's certainly a chance for Maryland to prove themselves to voters who don't think they're actually a top 25 team, even though they have 23 wins and five losses, and not many teams in college basketball actually have that. Anyway, I'm done ranting. We'll be back next week to talk about the final two games of Maryland's season. Dave and Ryan, uh, thank you for staying up late and recording. Uh, despite the fact that this podcast is going off the rails uh, a bit tonight, but what the hell? It makes for better listening, I guess. My gotta, pleasure. Pass my thank you. We got to top ourselves at some point. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can still go back and listen to the Graham Couch interview if you, again, want to bang your head against the wall. That would be the way to do it. If you want to find a reason to take some Advil, if, again, if you haven't watched the Republican debates, there you go. Or if you need to prepare yourself for the pain your brain will be feeling when you watch Maryland basketball on Saturday afternoon. You can listen to that podcast, and it will definitely help you out of it. But of course, no terms. Don't ever forget that.